everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, apparently the unread quarterly report author, Knockreiner. Mark, <laughs> Man, someone explain yourself. <laughs> I, I have to read all your stuff. Your work. <laughs> I'm sorry, Corey. Next time I will read your hard work contributions to the report. Uh, as we are hinting at here, it is time for us to discuss the latest internet security report out of the WatchGuard Threat Lab. And before I get in any more trouble, let's go ahead and roll our way into that one. Uh, it has been long enough that it is time for yet another special edition of the 443 podcast, where we discuss the latest internet security report out of the WatchGuard Threat Lab. Uh, this one will be a little bit different than past ones in that we're actually doing this podcast before we do our typical webinar on it, uh, which means this might be, if you haven't already read the report, first time you get some of the cool stats and findings that we had out of it. So uh, before we jump in, Corey, uh, do you want to give your, your typical spiel on maybe a condensed version of why we do this security report every quarter? I think the intro was pretty condensed. Um, my joke uh, at the beginning of this intro was, I think we've all seen the movies where there's like a, a heist team or a military team like, oh, we have this great plan we're going to make. We studied uh, we studied the way attackers attack and we're going to defeat them by making this really great plan. But then the old experienced guy says that no plan survives the first uh the first uh, battle with the adversary. And the reason is the adversary always changed things. Your plan A never works because adversaries have their plans and, and, and can evolve too. So real planning means you have to have contingency plans, a plan B, C, and D. And to have those plans, you have to understand how the adversary might react to your defenses. So it's not just knowing, here's how the bad guy attacks, here's the defense I have, but here's a new way the bad guy is changing things. I need to update my defense. The whole point of our internet security report is to give you a baseline based on real quantitative historical data of what attackers did last time with evolution over time that comes from our analysts who've been following this data for a long time so that you can constantly adjust your, your, your defenses. You can make the plan B, C, or D that you need to continue to survive the evolving threat landscape. I think put even shorter, uh, the best descriptor for it would be coming from the great Mike Tyson of everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That was um, one of my quotes in the intro. <laughs> oh, there we go. Shows that I read it. <laughs> so. Oh, no. Diving into the <laughs> you really didn't read that? I thought you were stealing from me. Check out my intro, Mark. I literally used that quote. So anyways, moving on to the actual takeaways from the report, I guess starting with some of the high level trends that we saw. So first off, this is one of our, our largest groups of individual fireboxes that have reported into the report, uh, reported into the report, reported into what we call the firebox feed uh, for this quarter. So again, the firebox feed is just all customer and partner fireboxes that have opted in to sharing information back with WatchGuard through the checkbox under the general settings of your device. And among some uh, usage statistics that product management uses to better shape where to focus their attention for new features and releases, we also get information anytime one of the security services blocks a threat on the device. And can I, can I, I if I can add to that, we often, 
we're privacy advocates. So we often make fun of Facebook and talk about trying not to share too much information with companies if they don't need it. I, I want to be very clear that the, the information we're gathering, we're very sensitive about your privacy. So we are, are anonymizing data. The only thing that we really get that could be connected to you in any way is an external IP of the reporting firebox that we see anyways. And that's nowhere in our report. We're not sharing that data and we don't try to tie that data to you guys. So it really is valuable for you to share this data. We're not trying to get extra personal data to monetize you in any way. We honestly want to know how well our devices are doing against threats, not just for this report, but to improve our products to continue to protect you. So I just, I, I know if you're like me, you don't always want to share all your data with companies, but this is something we work hard at, at keeping it private, at not asking you for things that are really that important to you. It's mostly just what signatures are being hit and, and things like that. So like Corey's saying, like you're, you opting into sharing this telemetry with us does a lot to help make this report even more accurate to a global audience too. Um, and so for this quarter, we had over 82,000 devices annualized reporting into it, um, which is fantastic. It makes it even more statistically relevant as we get into some of the weeds of what we're seeing even regionally within the report. Um, so high-level stats, um, we saw an actually an increase in malware that we classify as signature-based detections. Um, so ones where our gateway antivirus service that is signature-based was able to detect um, but we actually saw a decrease in evasive threats for the quarter. And we'll get into one of the potential reasons for that in just a second. And by the way, a de decrease in total malware overall, total malware and total network attacks. Everything seems to be going down. But before we move, since I know you didn't read the intro, I'll, I'll share a theory to that that I, I really pointed out in the intro and that Trevor also, one of our writers, mentioned in the malware section too. <laughs> so with the evasive threats going down, though, that actually brought what we call our zero-day malware number, so the percentage of malware that gets past signature-based protections, down to right around 50%, which is the lowest that we've seen it for quite some time, honestly. Like, typically, we've seen it up around 70 to even 80% each quarter. That said, it is still half of all malware getting past signature-based protections, so that doesn't mean you can suddenly turn off your more proactive anti-malware defenses and sleep well at night. Um, one of the things we did see for the quarter, though, was malware arriving over an encrypted connection uh, was right around 82%. So we can extrapolate this, I guess, backing up first and foremost, the percentage of our customers and Firebox owners, and I'd be willing to bet UTM users in general, that enable HTTPS decryption in order to inspect these encrypted connections is still considerably low. Like I think right around 20%. It's, it's right around 20%. Yeah, Trevor, basically four-fifths of our fireboxes do not enable it. Uh, so just barely 20%, if not a little bit under that, actually enable inspecting TLS traffic. So know that 80, when you do turn that on, 82% of the malware you receive is through that encryption. So we can't tell you if that's true for the other 80%, but we feel like the ratio holds, it's it's probably going to. And the fact that 82, I mean, the fact that 80% of people don't do this is a big hole in our data, a hole that we can't do anything about. So one of the theories, and I, I don't wanna to get too far into it, but you'll hear there's a particular malware sample that it was on our most, our top encrypted threat, 
but it was so prevalent, it was also on our top 10 list, period. Our, and our top 10 list will include threats that are both encrypted and not encrypted. But the thing was, it made it to the top three of our top 10 list, and 100% of that was found only in encrypted traffic. If you look at the numbers we found in our general top 10 list, it was the exact same number of detections. So that really kind of opened our eyes that we may not be seeing the whole picture because so many people are not decrypting this traffic. And this, for the past three quarters, malware and network attacks have gone down. That is unusual over the many years Mark and I have done this. There have been periods it has gone up and down, but the general line over time has been up. That has changed. And my feeling now, we can't perfectly prove this yet, but the indicators that we are seeing is actually malware may continue to be going up, but we're learning less and less about it because so many customers are not doing this decryption. So I point this out not because we want you to, we turn it on so our report is better. You're missing a lot of malware if you're not doing this. And this is proof that not only are you missing malware, it's in volumes that our trends may no longer be entirely accurate unless you pay more attention to our encrypted trends. And while we, we, we track encrypted malware more than we do network connections, this could also explain network connections because while IPS will work both encrypted and unencrypted, if you're not decrypting HTTPS traffic, you're missing some of the potential coverage of IPS too. So we have told you in many, many reports that we highly recommend you use this functionality. Granted, you know, endpoint protection will help you too. If you're not doing this, I know smart people realize there's other avenues to catch those threats, but why wait for the endpoint? You really want to catch this before it becomes a problem because there's other evasion that can get past the endpoint. So the, the main thing I wanted to add, Mark, is this decline we've seen in the past three quarters, we're starting to get indicators that it may not be a true picture. And it may, the reason we don't have the true picture is so few people are contributing to our encrypted view of, of attacks. And I get it. It is, it used to be comparatively difficult to set up if you didn't have like a PKI environment within your organization. But these days, if you're running Active Directory, which you most likely are in some flavor or another, it's incredibly simple to get the right certificate um, ecosystem set up. Like it's already there in Active Directory, and it's just a matter of signing a certificate and importing it on the Firebox. Uh, we've gone a long ways at that for us speaking specifically as WatchGuard to add good uh, defaults to a lot of the proxies to get around some to of the, the applications that yeah. use things like certificate pinning and stuff. Um, and I would recommend, like, as you roll it out, do it like in a metered approach to smaller organization units and then expand it out. But basically, the investment that it takes in order to enable and set up this feature is going to pay dividends down the road to maintaining that layered approach to security instead of just relying on your endpoint to keep you safe. And meanwhile, if, if our trends continue to show people not doing it, it doesn't mean our top 10 list doesn't have some value, but I would pay more attention to the list that where we do see what's happening in encryption, because I suspect the more real trends are, are going to be seen there. And that the surface trends, including the general decrease, may just be on the surface and we have to look deeper or you have to turn on the functionality to look deeper for us to know more. Um, so speaking of that one that you just mentioned there, uh, in terms of agent individual threats we saw, yeah, the detection name or logic name was Agent IIQ. And like Corey said, it was top three by volume, just total. 
but all the 100% of it came over a, an encrypted connection. So you can imagine if a higher percentage of devices were using HTTPS decryption, this thing would just be astronomical in the amount of detection. I'm sure it would be number one. I mean, I can't, yep. it's one of those, if you watch, uh, what's his name? It, it's something I know, but I can't prove. I can't prove that it would be our number one threat by far, but I know it is. And it's just because it's number three from 20% of devices out there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so this one, it's actually interesting that it isn't a traditional malware payload. It's more of a detection of a phishing toolkit that we see commonly targeting Google and Office 365 logins. And that also explains why we see it entirely in this year or this quarter over an encrypted connection. And that these days, the overwhelming majority of internet traffic in general is HTTPS encrypted. Thanks to Let's Encrypt making it simple for anyone, legitimate or malicious, to add encryption to their applications. Um, it means that attacks like this or techniques like this are going to increasingly come over these encrypted connections. Um, another major threat that I wanted to point out, so we actually had a few different code injection threats pop up. But if you look at the report, one of the big trends we saw revolved around uh, let's, I mean, I don't want to say they're fully putting on their pirate hat, but at least people trying to get free software um, from locations. If, if you're downloading a cracking shouldn't. studio, you are fully <laughs> putting on your pirate. What, what can you do with cracking that. software other than pirate? <laughs> By the way, we don't know who did this. We don't care. And maybe anyways, usually the pirate in organization is someone to IT. It's not, it's, it's not sanctioned. <laughs> yep. But what I'm getting as we saw a couple of, uh, different malware threats arrive disguised as legitimate software that were being distributed through like Discord chat servers or just unofficial websites. Um, one of them came with a crypto miner included in it. Uh, some of them came with remote access Trojans included in them. One of them as an example was called 4kvideodownloader.exe. And basically the big takeaway from this is that if you are just like Googling for like how to rip videos or how to crack Microsoft Office or things like that, you're not going to get legitimate software and you're exposing yourself to risk from malicious files ending up on your computer. And to be fair to where you're going, I think the one thing you you might have, I, I went so hard on piracy, you might have skipped it, is some besides the cracking and pirated software, there was also a cheat engine. And cheat engines are not necessarily piracy. I, I think gaming companies and many ethical people will say they're almost as bad. Uh, but uh, so the other place besides piracy is people downloading like a cheat where you like can shoot through walls and see people through walls in Call of Duty or whatever. Uh, I think the exact one was like a Minecraft cheat engine too, where you could argue like yeah. if you're running your own local Minecraft thing, you know, you're not even breaking any social rules for that one. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, yeah, I agree. But do realize that, you know, whenever you get something for free, piracy especially look for malware, but even these cheat engines, Often, they're, to be honest, the people behind them, they still have to find software vulnerabilities and they're acting very much like the people that pirate software and they're, they're going against the game company. The game companies are actively finding ways to block them. So what I'm getting at is all the work they have to do to make their cheat engine is not free to them. So I think they attach to malware as often as some of the piracy programs, even if they're not illegal on their own. They're, they're giving the cheat engine away for free sometimes, so they have to recoup it. Although in this case, I believe it was, you can buy these cheat engines too. And I believe 
you know, one of the cheat engines that we see is sold legitimately on the website, whether or not you consider it a legitimate program, they do sell it. But some uh, somebody might have pirated the cheat engine and added malware to it, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Mark? You could imagine, yeah, if a 12-year-old just wants their Minecraft cheat engine and they don't have access to their, their parents' credit card, uh, they will probably yeah. end up stumbling upon this application and getting a remote access Trojan and or crypto miner running on their machine. I was going to mention Emotet. I, because I d jumped so heavily into the encrypted traffic, I don't think we need to talk about it because you guys have heard us talk about Emotet from many reports. But despite the fact that Emotet was one version of it was taken down by authorities years ago, it's still showing up quite prevalently down to number nine on our list. But realize just because authorities take down botnets don't mean new variants don't come down. So Emotet's still out there. Yeah, good point. Um, so for time's sake, let's hop over into the network attack side of things, which is where we're looking at detections uh, found by our intrusion prevention service on the Firebox appliance. So this is looking for everything from a network attack against a exposed web server to attempted exploitation of vulnerabilities in a client or even just a network connected application connecting out across the internet. Um, and by and the way, just to go really high level, because I don't think you mentioned this in high level stats, I, I said that network attacks are down too. It's down almost 50%. Network attacks this quarter dropped almost half from last quarter. So it is, it, if you wonder why I'm in my mind trying to figure out why we're seeing less of attacks and I'm talking about encryption, which can apply to network attacks too. We just don't look at encrypted. We don't call out encrypted uh, as much there. Uh, just know it's besides the trends Mark will talk about, general detections are down 50%. Could be good news for it. Like if it's truly down, that's great. That just makes our defender life easier. But I still suspect that we're, we're not seeing a hidden picture due to encrypted traffic. Yep. Um, so when it comes to some specific threats in the, uh, the network attack section, uh, one of them that like, is a bit of an obvious one is the exchange server vulnerabilities, proxy logon. Uh, one of the key vulnerabilities in that exploit chain was pretty popular in, in terms of the uh, most attacked or most attempted exploited um, attacks against services. Makes sense. Like exchange servers are still relatively common. I think a lot of organizations have moved primarily to fully cloud managed email. Uh, but for those that are there, they have to be exposed to the internet by nature in order to enable like Outlook web access into the system. Um, and so a vulnerability exchange makes sense that folks would be trying to exploit that frequently across the internet. Another big trend though, and I think this is actually a continuation from last quarter, is that we still see ICS and SCADA systems being a popular target detected by the IPS engine. Um, so we actually saw one come in from a popular, I think it was an electric, uh, Schneider Electric. So a SCADA system in, in that realm um, being showing up in the top 10 uh, vulnerabilities exploited for the quarter. And it kind of makes sense. Like, I mean, if you've been following the geopolitical cybersecurity news lately, you know that ICS and critical infrastructure are being probed around the world by, I'd be willing to bet, most countries, at least the lots, lots the of CISA alerts lately about targeting yep. in various critical infrastructure, not, not just their general ones, but very specific vendors that they've warned about here and there. Yep. So seeing it show up in our top detected threats and IPS. Totally makes sense. And your takeaway from that one is if you are in a, an environment where you've got operational technology as well as your traditional IT technology, make sure you're doing the right network segmentation and protections 
And don't just expose OT straight to the internet because it's often more difficult to protect from uh, on the endpoint itself too. Like you more often than not can't just install a EPP or EDR agent on that machine. So it becomes incredibly difficult to detect some threats that are potentially targeting it. Um, so anything you wanted to add for uh, network attacks, Corey, before we roll into uh, DNS detected threats? No, keep moving. All right. So in the DNS section, which is the very last one for the Firebox feed, this is where we're looking at the top uh, malicious domains for a few different categories as detected by our DNS watch or DNS firewalling service. Um, so while we detect a wide range of threats, in the corridor, we look at three main categories, and that's malware domains. So one's involved either in the distribution or command and control layer for a malware attack. Uh, compromised websites, which are otherwise legitimate websites that have been compromised to deliver a fish or malware or something along those lines. And phishing websites, which are, as you could probably guess, a domain that is designed specifically to be used within a phishing attack. And our key trend from this one was, I think if you've read the report over the past year or so, you see a popular um, malware delivery system called Lemon Duck show up relatively frequently. And historically, we've seen it delivering cryptocurrency miners uh, to unsuspecting victims. Uh, this quarter, though, a lot of the threats we saw were actually delivering Emotet. So the botnet that Corey mentioned, the U.S. government and technology partners keep trying to kill but can't seem to keep dead. Um, well, they they, they a... probably have killed one of the criminal groups. It's just unfortunately yes. malware tends to find its way to multiple groups and reuse be reused. Yeah, so we saw actually Lemon Duck delivering malware domains show up multiple times in the top ten malicious domains list for this last quarter. Uh, the good news is by showing up in this list, it means we detected it and blocked it. And so, if you're using DNS firewalling services, it'll help protect you against this style of threat. One of the great benefits, aside from protecting users from phishing attacks, is this malware-based um, threat detection where even if a machine becomes you know, infected with some remote access trojan, if you can identify that outbound connectivity to the command and control server and block that from occurring, yes, the machine is infected, but there's no way for the adversary to communicate with it and use that access to move laterally across your organization. So this is another great example of where a layered approach to security um, is so important to organizations. Um, I think the other one I'd highlight is we saw a interesting JavaScript obfuscation exploit kit show up. So JavaScript exploit kits, um, basically they fingerprint your web browser to figure out what version it's on. If they know you're running a version or a plugin that's vulnerable to some uh, exploitation, uh, they'll automatically attack it and then use that in order to gain potentially code execution on your machine. Uh, the signature that we saw pop up uh, new this quarter also involved obfuscation attempts in there to both make it more difficult to detect from a technical control like this and significantly more difficult to analyze for uh, analytic teams trying to find these vulnerabilities. So anyways, that's it for the, the Firebox feed component of the report. Uh, now let's transition into the endpoint component. Um, so it's been a couple of years now since we originally added this, but in the endpoint section, we look at the telemetry we gather from the Panda 8360 client, as well as the WatchGuard EPDR uh, agents uh, as they detect threats on endpoints themselves. And this gives us a bit of a different view than the network-based threats that we see on the Firebox. So on the Firebox, because of where it's positioned, by the way, no, we tend to... 
I know I'm hammering it home a ton. There's there's two reasons for this. This is one because sometimes state like sometimes the actual final mount payload that they want on the endpoint is not the first thing delivered because of evasion. What they deliver over the network is stager and droppers. But the other reason is probably encryption, right? If if your network can't see it, you know, the endpoint is where at the end of the day when the payload hits that, it adds decrypt, you know, the HTTPS connection that might have brought it in is decrypted at the client and you finally see the real thing that's coming through. Sorry, yeah, keep going. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, like Corey says, we tend to see the droppers at the perimeter and the actual end payloads as well as droppers on the endpoint itself. Um, if there's any really big takeaways from this quarter, like we've highlighted things in the past about like how script-borne malware attacks are running rampant. That trend still continues to this day, like living off the land attacks, attacks that have used PowerShell to kick off fileless threats are still the most prominent malware-based threats we see on the endpoints. So that really hasn't changed. Uh, we have seen continued upward trends in the web browser space of both Firefox uh, and actually Internet Explorer uh, continuing to increase in their share of the overall detections that we see for browser exploits, which is interesting because they continue to trend downward in terms of market share as well too. Internet Explorer uh, being end of out of support at least, or at least out of patching or upkeep um, by Microsoft with them transitioning to the Chromium-based Edge web browser these days. Um, we saw a pretty significant drop in crypto miners just in general, like 72% uh, volume drop this quarter compared to the previous or compared to yeah the rest of the year, which is quite substantial. And I feel like Q3 of this year was just on the very beginning edge of this crypto winter, as they're calling it, with all of the cryptocurrencies tanking due to the wheels falling off of various ex exchanges. I certainly knew of the crypto problems, but I hadn't realized they came up with a buzzword for crypto winter. So yeah, this is the fallout yeah. of this dystopian crypto winter. This I is gotcha. when people start to realize that the entire ecosystem is a scam preying on unwitting people. And as they start to exit, the cost goes down. Anyways, off my uh, my pedestal. It was never money. It was just stock that never had anything attached to it. <laughs> But Sorry. it's okay when your web server hosting your NFT goes offline, you still own that URL. Anyways, <laughs> back to the endpoint section. One trend that did uh, rise up was ransomware detections. Uh, they trended up in Q3 and they're actually pretty close to their quarter one record high. Now, one of the additional things that we include in the report this quarter and that we're expanding on future quarters going forward is not just looking at the telemetry that we get from endpoint clients, but our overall threat intelligence investigations across, in this case, the ransomware ecosystem entirely. Um, so some exciting news on that front coming forward sometime next year. But in the meantime, we have included some additional intelligence we've gathered, including tracking new ransomware variants and families over the course of the quarter. Um, and in fact, for Q3, we highlighted 23 new ransomware groups that popped up in this quarter. Uh, six of them with public extortion pages that you can go look at right now and see their actual advertised victims. Um, also tracked of the ransomware variants that we're monitoring, um, how many of them or what the most prolific ones are in terms of uh, known victims listed on their or on their websites, their kill lists or bragging lists or whatever you want to call them. Um, the most prolific one by a pretty substantial margin was Lockbit uh, in this last quarter 
where it had 211 advertised victims over the course of the quarter, which is pretty insane. I think the second most one was only at like 50 or something. Uh, which was By the way, not, not surprising if you're following security news. Uh, Lockbit has all been all over the news, but it's always nice to see. I mean, not in a, we don't want to see <laughs> anyone get hit by anything. Word but it, carefully. It, you know, our, our trends seem to confirm why that's so newsworthy. Yep, exactly. Um, so again, endpoint section is one of my favorite. We get to see some of the really high level stats for all of our detections across our endpoint clients. I know we went through this pretty quickly. If you want to check out these, the deep dive into a lot of these malware threats we talked about, definitely check out the report itself, uh, watchguard.com slash security report, I believe. Um, by the time you listen to this, it is actually, it's published as of recording right now too. Yeah. By the way, some conclusive tip highlights at the end. Mark has been sharing all throughout the report. We share tips and Mark has point-wise been sharing tips on some of the findings. But just remember, I at the end, you need to take care of encrypted traffic, whether it's at the endpoint or network. And I recommend both. Yes, if you have really good endpoint protection, all, all endpoint protection gets an opportunity to see the final files being downloaded. But there's ways to evade that too. So I highly recommend turning on network encryption. Mark talked about one of the point tips about privacy. Uh, one of my concluding tips is from an organization level, we all have acceptable use policies. Make sure to, that piracy is represented there and not just from a legal stealing pr perspective, but you, you hopefully your people know they shouldn't be pirating software simply for the legal reason. But it's good to just mention in the acceptable use policy that it also has a danger of being attached to malware and threats. And that's part of why you have this policy against it. You know, I, I get that some people consider acceptable reuse as just the rules. So people need to follow them and just be quiet. I think if you explain why you have certain policies, that users are more apt to follow them. So let them know piracy is not just a legal issue, but it's a malware issue too. And finally, as I mentioned, the whole point of the report is to always give you new plan B or plan C tips on what to do uh, based on to, how to prevent these new threats. But the truth is there's never going to be a perfect plan. So the one extra tip I, I threw in that's not tied to any particular trend is plan Z. Your last plan is business continuity and disaster recovery. So do know there's never a perfect defense. There's never a perfect plan. So make sure you spend some time proving that you can recover from issues that do happen. And that one's critical. Make sure you test it as well too. And that doesn't mean rip out the cord on your server and see if you can respond to the fire. It just means sitting down with the, the business owners and the folks that would be responding to a disaster and walk through your actual procedures with a simulated event and just walk through the steps of, okay, this happened, what would we have to do first? And what would we need to for our additional steps before bringing this system back online? Uh, that can go a long ways. Um, so again, this was brief. One thing we didn't highlight was we, every quarter, go over the top security incident from the quarter. Uh, this one was all about evil proxy, the adversary in the middle tool that's become commoditized and available for a relatively low cost on underground forums. Uh, do a bit of a deep dive of how it works and how to protect yourself from it in the report itself too. Again, if you want to read the report in all of its 30-something, 40-something page glory, or just the executive highlights, it's watchguard.com slash security report. Um, so with that, 
man, I guess time to uh, start your reading and time for us to get chugging on the Q4 report now that it's, uh, we got a couple of days and then we'll get rolling. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you had any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, please reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thank you again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.